starting, or not starting, uh, well, actually, yeah, we're starting week two of our new series called Broken Pieces. Last week, we went through, uh, started in the book of Job. Again, like I said last week, Job is going to kind of be our home base. Uh, we're going to start there, and then we're going to go into other areas. I want to encourage you, if you did not, or you weren't here last week, please go online, um, Get it on the website, or you can go on a podcast or whatever. Listen to week one, okay? It's a very important foundation for what we're going to be covering over the next several weeks. Because the things that we're going to be covering over the next several weeks um, are going to be a little heavy. They're going to be sometimes a little bit hard to talk about. And if you have that foundation of last week uh, and some of the things we talked about, it's really going to help us as we go forward, okay? So today what we're going to be talking about is suffering. And, and, and this is not one of those messages that I woke up this morning going, yay, I'm so excited about this. This is going to be great. You know, this is one of those things that's hard to talk about. And it's hard to talk about because of, of the pain that is associated with it. And so I just want to start out with, with helping you understand something. Listen, I don't have all the answers, Okay, when you talk about suffering, there's so many different um, situations and circumstances, and, and it's it's just hard. And 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 I don't have all the answers. And if you come up to me after service and say, Aaron, but why this or why that? I, I'm probably not going to be able to give you an answer. Okay, in, in your specific instance. But I want to talk about this because I want to, I believe that God wants to deal with these things in our hearts and in our lives and, and, and kind of begin to, to heal some places and begin to kind of look at some things that, that God wants to do. So we're going to be, uh, our home base this morning is Job chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. It's going to be up there on the screen. Now before we read that, I want to recap. Last week, very shortly, we talked about uh, Job and, and how, what a great guy he was and how righteous he was and blameless and that Satan goes before God and basically says, well, of course he's all these great things. You've given him all this stuff. And so Satan basically says, well, if, if you took them all away or I took them all away, then he'd, he'd curse you to his face. So God allows Satan to do that. Job loses pretty much everything. The only thing that God re- requires Satan not to do is to touch his life. And to touch his health and touch his body. And so basically that happens. And, and, and so he loses everything. And he loses his kids and his, his wealth and, and all these things. And in that he doesn't sin. And so that's basically where we're at now. We're going to be in Job chapter 2, the first uh, verse. And we'll start and we'll read this together. It says this. Now the angels came again to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan was with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. From earth, where I've been watching everything that's going on, Satan replied. Well, have you noticed my servant Job? The Lord asked. He is the finest man in all the earth, a good man who fears God and turns away from evil. And he has kept his faith in me despite the fact that you persuaded me to let you harm him without any cause. Now listen, I want to stop here, and I'm not going to stay here very long. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. But I want you to notice that in verse number 3, what it says. It says something that we need to remember, okay? This is what God has said. He says, and you kept, and he kept his faith in me despite the fact that you, speaking to Satan, persuaded me to let you, speaking to Satan, harm him without any cause. Okay? Remember that. Remember those words. Okay? We're going to talk about it more in depth later. Okay, Michelle, if you want to keep going, you're doing a great job. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give anything to save his life. Touch his body with sickness, and he will curse you to your face. Do with, you as, do with him as you please, the Lord replied. Only spare his life. 
So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job. Okay, remember, who is striking Job? It's Satan here. With a terrible case of boils from head to foot. That word boils in, in the Hebrew, if this will help you understand, it's the same Hebrew word that we see in boils that come in the, uh, the, the plagues that God puts on the Egyptians. This is a very terrible, painful, red, oozing, disgusting kind of a situation that's extremely painful, okay? So that's what we're dealing with. So he does it from head to foot. Then Job took a broken piece of pottery to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. Verse number nine. His wife said to him, are you still trying to be godly when God has done all of this to you? Curse him and die. But he replied, you talk like some heathen woman. What? Shall we receive only pleasant things from the hand of God and never anything unpleasant? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. Let's pray. Father, I need your help here because this is tough. Not that I don't need your help every week, because I do. But God, I just need you to help open our hearts and speak through me as we deal with this thing that needs to be dealt with and needs to be looked at and understood in a deeper way. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you a question. It's in your notes. If you could ask God any question and you knew he would answer, what would you ask? Think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. If you could ask God anything, And you knew he would answer. You know he would answer truthfully because God can't lie. The the truth is God. So he's not going to lie. But if you could ask God anything, what would you ask? I found a survey that they took a couple of years ago. And here's what they found. The number one thing that people would ask God is why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? A lot of times when I've dealt with people and I've talked to people or I've looked at things online uh, as far as people and their struggles and they're dealing with certain things, one of the things that just keeps coming up over and over and over again is this concept of why, if God is love and if God is good and God is all these things that we proclaim he is, then why do all these bad things happen? And listen, we're not talking about the stuff here that basically we do and, and, and there's kind of the cause and effect, Okay, it doesn't make any sense for us. Let's say we, we, um, we, we, we go out and we rob a bank, okay, and, so, and we get caught and we get put in jail. It would be silly for us to be sitting there in jail going, God, why did you do this to me? God, I can't believe that you did. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about cause and effect. I'm talking about this understanding of, of kind of when we're doing the right things or, or, or when there's no fault of our own, bad things tend to happen. I haven't seen the news uh, recently, and I know I've been watching with the hurricane. Has it made landfall yet? No. I, I, I listen. I, I'm, I'm glad that people like the ocean. I'm not a big fan of it because of what swims in it and what comes out of it. I can't imagine what it would be to live in Florida and every couple of years it seems like to be boarding up my house and hoping that the hurricane doesn't hit it. And you know those people, some of those people are going to probably, if it hits the way they think, they're going to lose most everything. Why? Couldn't, I mean, God, God is all-powerful. God is, uh, he could just say, storm, go away. But it, but it doesn't. Why? What's going on? Why does God allow these things? Why is it that there's so many people that are hungry, that don't have enough to eat? Why is it that we see things with kids and it just breaks our heart? Why is it that you turn on the TV and, 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 and there's, there's a kid that's, that's, that's got leukemia? And it's hard. 
And people struggle with that because they look and they say, if God loves us and if God is there to take care of us and God's a good father and all these things, then why do we see these things over and over and over again? And it's hard and it's tough. And we have to answer this question. We have to answer it in a godly, biblical way. Because a lot of people are looking for this answer. And again, I'm not saying I have the answers. I'm not saying that I can look at every situation and do this. But I'm going to try, with, with God's help, to kind of bring this to a deeper understanding in our lives. And it's not easy. And there isn't this, this magic bullet or, or this, isn't this silver bullet that we could just apply to every situation. But we're going to try to look at God and see his heart and see what he wants us to see in the midst of these things. Number one, the thing we need to first look at is this. It's God's perspective versus our perspective. You see, what we have to understand is sometimes our perspective in God's is completely different. We want to have the heart of God. We want to have the mind of God. But a lot of times we have a hard time with that. We're going to look at a story in Acts, okay? In Acts, basically, 16, we're going to... Let, let, before we get there, and that's okay that it's up there, Michelle. That's cool. Um, I want to kind of give you a little background of what's going on. Paul and Silas are, are in a town. And basically, they're being followed by this, this, this young girl who's possessed with a demon. And because of that, she's able to basically tell the future. It kind of goes a little bit into the, the spiritual realms that we talked about last week. And so she's, she's kind of following them around. And she's kind of causing not a lot of trouble, but kind of causing some issues. And so Paul finally looks back at her and casts out the demon. And the demon leaves her, which is great and awesome. And you would think that everybody's like, oh, this is amazing. Well, it makes the person that, that is her owner, basically, she's a slave, really upset because now his cash cow's gone. Okay? This way that he's been making all this money has now been taken care of. And so he gets a bunch of people all upset with Paul and Silas because they've actually done something amazing and wonderful in the life of this young lady. And so this is basically where we pick up the story in Acts 16.22. And it says this, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Now let's stop there. Why were they beaten with wooden rods? Okay? And it's real simple. Of course, these people in this time, and not that we're any different, by the way, but we, they understood how to impose pain. Okay? And what they would do is the reason why they would beat people with wooden rods is because it would bruise your bones. You ever had a bone bruise? You ever heard of anybody that's had a bone bruise? They are extremely painful. Okay? Like extremely painful. And so they would beat them to a pulp with these things, and they would actually bruise the bones so they could barely even move or walk. Okay? So they'd beaten them with these, these wooden rods. Then they were, uh, so they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Okay? So let's, let's stop here and let's kind of get an idea of what the picture is of this story. Paul and Silas are out. They're, they're doing God's work. They're sharing the gospel. People are getting saved. I mean, this is a great time. This, this young girl is possessed and needs deliverance. And they, they call out in the name of Jesus. And the demon flees. And it's an amazing moment. They've done everything right. Everything's going great. And then before they know it, they're beaten. They're thrown in the inner dungeon. And they're in stocks. They've done everything right. They've done everything good. Everything they were supposed to do. And this is where they end up. 
You know what we tend to do here? You know what we tend to do in our lives a lot? Is we, we begin to go to this place of, of these words. Are you ready? God, that's not fair. Don't we? You know what I love about kids? I love their, their sense of fairness. You ever, play, you ever watch kids play tag or play a game? You know what you'll normally hear at some point? I love watching um, my son and his friends play tag. Because it's funny because it's like as soon as they're just about ready to get caught, no matter where they are, amazingly, miraculously, the, the chair nearby becomes base. You know what I mean? So they're getting ready to get caught and they're, they're getting, oh, no, 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 base, base. And then they'll wait for the kid to go, and then they'll run over here, and then they're almost getting caught. Base. Every chair in the auditorium eventually becomes base. Okay? And what eventually happens to the kid chasing it? He eventually stops and he goes, wait a minute. That's not fair. We have a tendency to look at that. And this, if we look at this situation, this isn't fair. God, Paul and Silas, they're, they're your missionaries. They're, they're doing all this amazing stuff for you. They, they're doing everything right, and they end up here? Why? Why? And we have to remember this. When we look at scripture, okay, and we know the stories, a lot of us, we know the end of the story. It's important that we remember Paul and Silas don't know the end of the story yet. Okay? They don't know what's going to happen. Now, some of you will go, I know what's going to happen. This is a great story. Yeah, I know it is. But, but, But listen, they don't know. All they know in this moment, if we stop time, is they were doing what God wanted them to do. They were being obedient, and all they got out of it was a beaten and in prison. So, let's now pick up the story in verse number 25. It says this. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They are hurting. They are bloody. They are beaten. They are in the inner dungeon. And at about midnight, they're praying and they're singing. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Because Paul and Silas understood that their perspective and God's perspective are sometimes different. And they chose, even though they were in the midst of pain and in the midst of suffering, they chose to trust God and his perspective. That's why they were singing. That's why they were praying. They were saying, no, God, I trust you. God, I know you have a plan. And so they were singing and praising God. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open. And the chains of the prisoners, every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. And this time, if you were the jailer, if, if basically your prisoners escaped, you would take on the punishment that they were going to have. And so this jailer said, you know what? All these guys are gone. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be dead. I'm going to take my own life. And so he draws, draws his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouts out to him, stop. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran into the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the words of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he 
and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. I want you to notice something here in this story that's very interesting to me. God doesn't bring the earthquake to free Paul and Silas. God brings the earthquake to free the jailer and his family. Catch that? You see, it's amazing because sometimes we can be so self-absorbed and so focused on our own suffering that God will bring the earthquake and we go, oh, good, this is my escape. This is my way out. And God's like, no, 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 no. I'm not bringing the earthquake for you. I'm bringing it for him. And what's so beautiful about this story is because of that earthquake and because of the change that takes place in the jailer's life, the jailer then takes care of Paul and Silas. What a great story. But men who understood that their perspective and in their moment, things were probably a little bit different. Because here's what we have to understand. Our perspective is temporal and usually revolves around our comfort. God's perspective is eternity. Sometimes when eternity is involved, God will put us outside the area of our comfort. God tries to get us to understand that. He tells us scripture that says life is but a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. In the light of eternity, no matter if you live five years or you live 500 years, it is a nothing more than a vapor. And God wants us to understand that. It seems hard to comprehend. Eternity is such a hard thing to understand because it just seems like, how, why? I have a friend of mine back in Albuquerque. He had a birthday. He just turned 80 years old. And he and I were talking on his birthday on Monday. And I made a comment to him. I said, you know what? You're almost double my age. He's lived that long. And you know what? In the light of eternity, it's a snap. It's a snap. And sometimes we have to understand that. Well, see, we look at God and we go, God, I want to be comfortable. God, I want to be taken care of. We look at that in a very unhealthy way sometimes because we associate our comfort with God's blessing and God's provision and God's taking care of us. And this is where it gets dangerous. And God's love for us. I'm comfortable, so God loves me. He's taking care of me. He's with me. When things get uncomfortable, God's left. God's gone away. God doesn't love me anymore. Listen, sometimes in our life, God will take your comfort away because he sees eternity. And God's perspective always revolves around eternity. Why? Because he wishes that none should perish and that all would come to repentance. Let's look at another story. The story of Joseph. This is a great story in Genesis. Now, let me kind of give you a, a, a little bit of a background here. Joseph has got his brothers, and Joseph is basically sold into slavery by his own brothers. Sad, tragic. And he ba- basically is taken to, to, a, to Egypt, and he's sold to a man named Potiphar. And because God is with him, and because God is, is taking care of him, um, basically Potiphar realizes this and puts Joseph in charge of his household while Potiphar's wife um, takes a liking to Joseph. The Bible says that Joseph is, 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 is basically a good-looking guy. And she begins to take a liking to him, and she tries to entice him to, to sleep with her and to be with her. And Joseph constantly says, no, no, this is not right, this is not right. Well, finally, she kind of catches him in, in a moment uh, where they're alone, and she tries to grab him, says, come to bed with me. And he leaves his cloak behind. He runs. He says, no, this is wrong. And she, she is a, now a, a, a woman scorned, basically. And she takes the robe, and she goes to her husband and says, look, Joseph tried to, to take advantage of me and, and lies. And and Potiphar throws him into prison. Joseph doesn't do anything wrong. Joseph does everything right. 
Joseph keeps his integrity. Joseph doesn't do the evil thing. And where does he end up? He ends up in prison. And that's where we pick up our story in verse number 21. It says this, But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and all of everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Now this is important. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. The Lord was with him. Why do I stop and focus on that for this moment? Because a lot of times in our suffering, we talked about this just a minute ago, in our suffering and in those moments, we feel like God's left us. God has not left you. God has not left Joseph here. God is continuing to work. He's continuing to do things. Joseph was in prison for 13 years. It's a long time. Eventually, to kind of make the story quicker, basically, Joseph is able to interpret some dreams. God gives him that ability. And because of that, Joseph becomes the second in command of all of Egypt. He is the only person besides Pharaoh. I mean, that is it. He is the second man in charge. He, he basically, because of he's able to understand the dreams of Pharaoh, he understands that there's going to be a famine that's coming. And so Joseph is put in charge of preparing for that famine and saving all the food so that they're ready. And it just makes an unbelievable difference. And so because of that, there is no food. And so Joseph's brothers come to Egypt because they realize there's food there. And so they come and they don't even know who they're standing in front of. And in Genesis 45, we pick up the story. And this is what it says. It's Joseph's brothers. And there's a little bit more here, but just for time, basically they're there in front of their brother. They don't even recognize him. And this is what Joseph says, as Joseph says to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now remember... Joseph doesn't know what's going to happen. He's sitting rotten in a jail cell going, God, what's going on? But he trusts God. He believes God. He believes that God's got a plan. His perspective is different from what that of most people are. And he trusts God. And God, I see that you you, you have your hand on me. God, I know. And then this begins to happen. And God, because of this, puts him in place. Now, I want you to stop and I want you to remember something here, okay? Because sometimes we, 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 we forget who Joseph is and who these brothers are. Let me just bring it down this to you. Are you ready? One of his brothers is a guy named Judah. Why is that important? Because many, many, many years later, there's this guy that comes from the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus. Now think about that. Joseph had to be in prison for a little while. Joseph had to suffer a little while. Why? So there would be a remnant. Why? So there would be a tribe. Why? So that Jesus could come from it. So that the the promise of God that was given all the way back in the garden could be fulfilled. And we could have communion this morning and remember what Jesus has done for us. 
kind of puts suffering in a different light, doesn't it? When we're able to see it through a perspective that is not just our own and not just wrapped around our own comfort. Now you go, okay, great, Aaron. That's, oh, sure, yeah, give, give the extreme examples. I mean, it's real easy to look at it now. It's real easy to look back and go, well, sure, yeah, God used that and God did that. And, and yes, the jailer got saved, so salvation happened, which is the greatest miracle of all. And yes, in this, thousands of people were saved, which brought through Jesus. And I mean, yeah, sure, sure. What, but, but what about Job? Nobody gets saved from Job. Well, let's look at Job. Let's look at that. Let's see what the purpose was. What was the purpose of Job's suffering? Now remember, we talked about this last week. Job was blameless, but he was not sinless. And that's important that we catch that. Look at Job. In Job 29, we see kind of some interesting things. Job is speaking here, and this is what he's saying. Those were the days when I went to the city gates and took my place among the honored leaders. The young stepped aside when they saw me, and even the aged rose in respect at my coming. The prince stood in silence and put their hands over their mouths. The highest officials of the city stood quietly holding their tongues in respect. All who heard me praised me, and all who saw me spoke well of me, for I assisted the poor in their need and the orphans who required help. I helped those without help, and they blessed me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Everything I did was honest. Righteousness covered me like a robe, and I wore justice like a turban. I served the eyes of the blind and for, at the feet of the lame. I was a father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. I broke the jaws of godless oppressors and plucked their victims from their teeth. I thought, surely I will die surrounded by my family after a long, good life. For I am like a tree whose roots reach the water, whose branches are refreshed with the dew. New honors are constantly bestowed on me, and my strength is continually renewed. Everyone listened to my advice, and they were silent as they waited for me to speak. And after I spoke, they had nothing to add, for my counsel satisfied them. They longed for me to speak as long as, uh, as people long for rain. They drank my words like a refreshing spring rain. When they were discouraged, I smiled at them. My look of approval was precious to them. Like a chief, I told them what to do. I lived like a king among his troops and comforted those who mourned. Did you see it? A lot of eyes in there, wasn't there? A lot of me's in there, wasn't there? You see... Job, although he was blameless, he wasn't sinless. And one of the things that Job struggled tremendously with was pride. He was proud. He was proud of his righteousness. He was proud of who he was and how people saw him. Jesus talks a little bit about this in another scripture in Luke. It's one that maybe you've heard of a little bit more. In Luke 18, it says this. Jesus, he says... He also told them this parable, he is Jesus, to someone who trusts in themselves. Now listen, this is important you catch this, because this is Job, and unfortunately in the church, this is us a lot of times, okay? Who is Jesus telling this parable to? He's telling this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This is who he's speaking to. 
This is why he's telling this parable. This is what he says. Two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortionists, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I tithe all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What we have to understand, why does all these things happen for Job? Why does God allow all these things Because Job had some things that God needed to do in the heart of Job. Sometimes these things are going to come because God is wanting to refine you. He's wanting to bring those things to the surface. He's wanting to get those impurities out. He's wanting to love you and help you to become more like him. And sometimes, unfortunately, the only way we learn, the only way that takes place in our hearts and in our lives is we have to suffer. That heat has to be turned on. Some of you know how you purify gold. you got to turn the heat up. And when you turn the heat up, the impurities begin to rise to the top. And they'll scrape off the top. And then they'll heat it again. And they'll scrape off the top. Sometimes to make us the pure sons of God and the daughters of God that God wants us to be, he'll turn up the heat to help us get there. In this story, there's a lot of things going on. But why does God allow Satan to do the things to Job? Quite simply, he had some stuff in his life that God had to get fixed. And he loved him enough to do it. He loved him enough to do it. He loved him enough to bring forth that heat so that there would be a new understanding. Look at James 1, 2 through 4. It says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And the steadfastness having its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Why does God do this? Because to be quite honest with you, Job was lacking in his life. Job was like the Pharisee in the story Jesus tells. Look what I've done. Look at my righteousness. Look how great I've done. Listen, we tend to do that a lot as Christians, don't we? (sighs) You know, I got my problems, but uh, thank goodness I'm not like John here. (laughs) He's got his issues. How about this? Boy, man, I really wish, I really wish Nicole, she is here, but I really wish Nicole had been at church today. She really needed to hear that message. Oh, yeah, we're perfect, aren't we? We don't walk around like we got it all together. Sometimes God is going to bring stuff in your life. He's going to bring those those moments of, of trial. Why? Because he's wanting to make you perfect and complete. Because here's the deal. Right now, I love you. I do. And you could say this right back at me. We're not perfect and we're not complete. We're being refined. We're being brought to a place of perfection. But we're not there yet. You say, well, yes, I am. Give me one hour with you. I'll show you you're not. You'll think something wrong. You'll do something wrong. You'll... 
We are being fixed by God, which is an amazing thing. But we're not there yet. And sometimes those things will come and God will allow these things to come because God wants to refine us. And what's beautiful about this is if you look there at the, and I skipped a little bit, Michelle, and I'm sorry. Can you go back to Job 42? The, after hearing this, after experiencing all that he hears from God, and, and, and we'll talk about it in later weeks, okay? But basically, to make it understandable, this is what Job's response is, okay? After he's in the midst of this, he says, I have only heard about you before. He's talking to God. But now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Listen, why was Job such a great person? It wasn't because he was sinless, because he wasn't. It wasn't because he's perfect, because he wasn't. It wasn't because at times he had moments where he, he kind of lashed out and got frustrated, because we're going to look at that in the next couple weeks. But he sees God, he understands, and he repents. He repents because of his repentance, because of what God does in his life. In his later years, God blesses him even more than what he's experienced before he loses everything. But why does he do that? Because he comes to a place of repentance. Why does Job need to do that? Because he's realized through the struggle and through the suffering that he was lacking and that he needed God. The verse before that we read, you know what I saw? I saw a man who thought he had it all together, that he didn't need God at all, and that he was the man. And God says, no, let me help you understand who you are and who I am. So let's look at this as we close. I want to give you some things to remember. I want to give you three things to remember. Now, some of you have these notes, and I want you to do me a favor, okay? I want you to keep them. Okay, I don't know if you, you know, maybe keep them in your Bible, if you just use your phone, um, you know, put them someplace, okay? If you're going through something right now, hold on to them, look at them, study them, memorize them, think about them, meditate on them. If you're not, hold on to them because you're going to be here at some point. And I want you to remember this, okay? If you walk out of here, remember only these things, this is it, okay? This is the big idea, okay? This is taking it and using it, got it? Okay. Number one, God is not the cause of suffering. Before we go on to John, remember I said early on, I said, remember this, remember this. Now let's talk about something. God does give permission, but he is not the cause. Okay, you need to understand that. Who is the cause? The thief. In John 10, 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And you go, why do all these things happen? Why? Because there is a thief. We talked about this last week, folks. This is why it's important that you understand last week that is there to kill, steal, and destroy. Does God allow it? Yes, he does allow it. But as we see in just a moment, there's a reason. But the enemy is the one that brings destruction. The enemy is the one that brings death and uses people 
and things. And if you look even in the story of Job, and I don't have time to get into it, but even some of the ways that Job is afflicted in his family, it, it shows Satan uses nature to bring these things. It talks about lightning from, from, from heaven, which a lot, or, or, or a fire from heaven, which a lot of theologians believe is lightning. It talks about a wind that blows, that knocks over the house. Hey, listen. What's happening in our world probably today, maybe tomorrow? A hurricane's going to hit. We see the enemy using nature to just kill, steal, and destroy. Okay? Now remember, it doesn't come. Why? How do we know that? Because Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Okay? So Jesus here is comparing and contrasting himself and the enemy. The enemy comes to bring death and destroy, and Jesus comes to bring life. That's what they do, okay? Number two, number two, God has not abandoned me in the midst of my suffering. God has not abandoned me in the midst of my suffering. Joshua 1, 5b, Moses has died, and now Joshua is in charge, and God is charging Joshua, and he says this, For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. You need to understand this. A lot of times in our suffering, in our hurt, we think God is gone. We think God is far away and he is not. He is right there and he is working and he is moving and he is doing things even though we don't always see it and always understand it. He has not left you. He will never leave you. Number three. There is a greater purpose for my suffering even though I can't see it at this moment. There is a greater purpose. Now listen to me. Hear me here. I don't know necessarily what that purpose is. You may never know this side of eternity what that purpose is. But you have to believe and you have to trust that God is allowing those things in our lives for a purpose and a reason. And that purpose is big things and massive things, even though sometimes we can't always see it. Look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say only the good things. It doesn't say only the comfortable things. It says that God does it with all things. And sometimes when you are suffering, sometimes when you are hurting, you are not going to get the answers that you need. You're just not. I wish I could look at you and open up the scripture and say, and in this verse and in this chapter, God says, anytime you ask me a question, I'll explain it all to you. It's not there. Because it doesn't exist. But at some point in our lives, we've got to make a conscious decision that God knows more than we do. And that God knows best, even if it hurts is that hard? Absolutely. Do people literally turn away from the faith because they don't get the answers they crave? Yeah, they do. And is it hard? Absolutely. If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. And I want to do this. If, if the board members and, that are here, if you guys want to come over here to my left, I want to open up this for a time of, of prayer. 
Because I know that people are struggling, and I know people are hurting, and I know people are, are going through these moments. And one of the great things about a church, and one of the great things about the body of Christ, is we get to share these moments with you. We get to pray with you, and rejoice with you when, when things are going well, and, and weep with you when things are going hard. But suffering is a part of life. Jesus specifically said that. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this life, it's going to be hard. In this, these moments, you're going to find that, that, that things are difficult. And some of those things are going to be hard to understand. Some of those things are going to be things that we look at and we go, why, God, why? And sometimes, and they're awesome moments, we get to see why. But most of the time, guys, I'm just going to be honest, most of the time... God's response is, trust me. Will you trust me? One of the things I'm most excited about when I get to heaven and with Jesus is, you know, seeing him and seeing everybody. And, oh, that's going to be awesome. But one of the things that, and, and, and we got all of eternity here, okay? I just want to take a walk with Jesus. Me and him. I'll, I'll wait. We got plenty of time. And maybe at this point I won't care, I don't know, but in my flawed human mind, I want to be able to have him tell me, Aaron, you remember when this happened? Yeah, God, I remember. Let me show you who the purpose was in that. Let me show you that that suffering and that hurting wasn't in vain. Now, now here's the thing. I would love for him to do that this afternoon. Could he? Yeah. Will he? Probably not. But I've chosen, as hard as it is sometimes, in my life, to think about that conversation and know that God, even though I don't understand, I know one day we're going to talk and I'll understand. And I'll be so thankful that I hurt He'll go, you know what, Aaron? Yeah, you had to go through that because I had to fix something deep inside of you because you wouldn't learn any other way. And I'll be so thankful in that moment because I'll go, oh God, it was all worth it. Today we took communion. And I often think about what Jesus' head must have been thinking in that moment. He's getting ready to go to be crucified for us. Why does he do it? Why does Jesus put himself through that? Scripture tells us because he knew what was coming after. He knew that the pain had a purpose. He knew that, yeah, although there'd be suffering for a little while, what God would do in the midst of it. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, God wants to use that pain and that suffering to not just change your world, but to change you. Do me a favor. Let's close our eyes and let's focus. I know that it's hard. And I'm not here to belittle your pain. What I am here to help you with and what I believe God wants us to understand is that we can trust Him and trust His plan no matter how hard it gets. And He'll never leave us He'll never forsake us. 
there will always be a plan that we may not be able to see that will bring amazing miracles that will take place in our lives and in the lives of others. And so we have to trust that and have to trust Him. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that pain and that hurt, we don't have to suffer alone. God's always with us and He's always here. And we're here. And the reason I ask the the, the, the board members to come and to be ready to pray is because I want you to come if you need to, somebody to agree with you. Sometimes you just need to have somebody that'll just let you cry on their shoulder. And if that's you, we're here. Because life is hard. And there are troubles. But take heart. Because God has overcome this world. So if you're suffering, if you're hurting, let's pray about it. Let's get some love. Let's get some, 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 some love from people and from God through it. Because this too shall pass. And when it does, when we get to the other side, even if we don't always understand why, God will bring forth miracles. And God will do amazing things. And so, Father, we come to you right now and we trust you. And let's do this. If that's you, just go on over, okay? If that's you, just as I pray, go on over. I'm going to pray, and then the worship team's going to just begin to sing. So if that's you, just go find somebody to pray with. Father, I love you. And God, we thank you. And we know that sometimes life is difficult, and we face things that are hard, and we suffer. And we sit there and we go, why? Why, God? Why, 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 why? Sometimes we got to stop with the why and move on with the trust. And know that you have a plan. And know that your plan is good. And so, Father, we trust you. Help us in the midst of this or whether we're not there yet, but we're going to be. Wherever we're at, help us in this moment. We love you and we thank you. Let's all.